Welcome to New Hope and the teaching ministry of Pastor Randy Rainwater. They use twisted truth, deceitful lies. Anybody ever had that happen to them? You know what that feels like. Today, we're back in Acts chapter 6, and Pastor Randy invites us to consider how Stephen responded to that kind of persecution. Is your life about reflecting the evil that's around you? When you get poked, what comes out? When, when you're insulted, what comes out? When you're offended, what comes out? Open your Bible now to Acts chapter 6. Here's Pastor Randy. And open up your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts. We're going to spend some time today. I'm going to kind of fly through a, a longer section of Scripture today. And as we do that, as we're in that, as we're in that section of Scripture today, I, I would encourage you to go back today and read what I believe is maybe the most powerful sermon in the New Testament, aside from those that Jesus taught and if you would, now that you got your scriptures, if you would stand with me one more time, I just want to read a couple of words here, okay? All right? Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Let me start at 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples, what's that next word? Multiply. Remember, up until this moment, it's been adding to, adding to, adding to, but Something happened in this section before because what happened was the Stephen and these other people said, we're gonna step into the place that God has called us to and everybody starts doing their job and when everybody starts doing their job, we're no longer adding, we're multiplying. You know this. This is in any, in any sport that you do. If everyone's trying to play offensive line and no one's running back, you ain't gonna win. You, you know this at it, your work. You gotta have salesmen, you gotta have managers, you gotta have people answer the phone and say, we're so sorry we made a mistake, even if you didn't. You gotta have everybody in their place, and when everyone steps into their place, we're no longer adding, we're multiplying. Every single one of you, regardless of your place, has value. You're just as important in this body as I am, or our elders, or the people watching our kids. Well, maybe not the people watching our kids. They're more important. But other than that, other than that, each and every one of us, each and every one of us has value. And anyone who says it's different, it's one of the values we've had since the founding of this church. Know it, believe it. If you're a, a widow or a widower, as this passage has started out, you have dignity and you have value and you bring something to the table here that no one else does. And if you don't bring it, we don't get to eat it. This is the world's biggest potluck. Maybe the Baptist got it right. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Remember this, Stephen, full of grace. Now flip over with me to verse 15. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. And then flip with me over to 754. And when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Some of your Bibles say cut to the heart. Same thing it says back in Acts chapter two, cut to the heart. 
But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. Last week, back at chapter 6, verse 8, last week we saw that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. I want to talk to you today about what that means because I I think we've been missing something. I'm going to correct something that I've been teaching wrong today for 40 years. It's going to be, it's not that bad, but but, uh, somebody's like, oh. But I've been teaching something wrong for 40 years. And this week, just as I was reading the scriptures, I was like, Lord, I'm sorry, I have messed that up. Stephen, verse eight, full of grace and power, is doing great wonders and signs among the people. Look at verse nine. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, of the Cyrenians, of the Alexandrians, those of Sicilia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. Here's what's going on. You have the temple, and, and Stephen and the other apostles have been going. They're, they're hanging out in the temple. Stephen is now out amongst the people. And they're looking at what's going on, and they're going, listen, everybody's going to the temple to hear the apostles, and now they're not even just going there. Now they're going to hear Stephen because Stephen's going around doing good things. And here we are in our synagogues, which was kind of like little satellites, little, little plants, places where people would go and learn. The Pharisees and the Sadducees would teach them all that they knew. They said, nobody's coming to hear us. It's like, it's like you, you had a McDonald's and all of a sudden like a Hardee's opens up next door and everybody just wants to go to Hardee's. I, I'm gonna stop there, okay? I'm gonna stop there. Let me, Chick-fil-A opens up. Yeah, that's what you say when you're talking to a church. All right, Chick-fil-A opens up and and, and everybody goes and gets their Chick-fil-A and nobody's in line anymore at McDonald's. And these guys are all upset. So they say, they say this, this is not good. What they're doing is not good. And because there was nothing they could do that was truthful, it says, it says verse 10, they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit. Because you know what? They didn't have either one. They couldn't stand the wisdom and the spirit with which was, he was speaking So they instigated men who said, we've heard him see blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the council. He's in trouble. Remember, we're still within months of the time that Jesus has been killed by these same people. This is not small. We we have friends around the world. There There are people, when we go to this nation's sign, there are people, and don't, don't you love those pictures? I love all these pictures. The, the, there's, there's, there's pictures there, though, that we couldn't put up because there are nations represented that, that we are engaged in, that we support, where if you get up and do what I'm doing today, they'll take you to jail. This, these people have real power. This isn't intimidation. This isn't getting canceled on Facebook. These people can kill you. And it says that they set up false witnesses. You know, if you can't beat somebody with truth, you just beat them with lies. He never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law, for we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. 
They use twisted truth, deceitful lies. Anybody ever had that happen to them? You know what that feels like. But watch what happens here. Watch the response of Stephen and gazing at him. When people stare at you, it's a demeaning thing, isn't it? You ever had anybody just stare at you? You don't belong here. What are you doing here? Stare at you. John Paul Sartre says, says that you stare at people to take away their dignity and their humanity. I have a picture of John Paul Sartre staring. Okay, when somebody stares at you, just stares at you, it, it takes away your dignity. It, it takes away your, your humanity. They're, they're staring at him. And all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. We can take John Paul's picture down. All right. He doesn't reflect the ugliness and horror that's reflected in the faces of the people staring at him. No, he reflects Jesus. Or maybe it's even more than that. Is, is, is your life about reflecting the evil that's around you? When you get poked, what comes out? When, when you're insulted, what comes out? When you're offended, what comes out? We were on our way back from uh, the airport the other night. Thank y'all for praying for Anita's dad. He's home, he's doing great. Thank y'all so much for praying. It was, those were, those were scary days. Last Wednesday was one of the harder days of our life. And we're just so grateful. But she went up last weekend and came back Wednesday night and I went down and picked her up. Her flight was delayed. They said, there's oil leaking out of the airplane. I said, honey, you make sure they fix that. I needed, I needed Mike up there, but uh, she got in really late and she was hungry. She said, I just, you know, I had breakfast and I haven't had any dinner. And so we were on our way back and we were on 316 and I said, just, just look and see someplace in Lawrenceville. We'll just get it on the way back and I'll just go in. So she looked and found a place. And you know, like a lot of, a lot of restaurants where you used to go in and sit down and eat, now they just, it's just takeout. And so we, we pulled up to this, to this Chinese restaurant there in Lawrenceville and, and, and I walked in and, and I told him my number and it wasn't done yet, so I just went over and stood. Well, as I'm standing there, this, this young man walks in. He's about 19 or so. And he was standing like this. And I was, and I was literally, I'm, I started to pray for him. I'm like, he's got a back injury. And then he walks and he goes like this. And then he walks like this. And he's, and he's literally taking step by step and he's changed side by side. And, and, I, and I figure this out as I'm watching. I'm like, this young man has seen too many Vanilla Ice videos. <laughs> I am not making this up. In fairness, I am changing the place a little bit. But I am not making up the story at all nor the words. And, and the, man, the man behind the counter uh, says, says, you're next. And he walks in and he goes, yo, five, three, babe. And I just start laughing. I'm like, this is vanilla ice. I mean, he's got the hood on, you know, he's doing this and everything. And, 
And the man comes and gets him his food and puts it in the metal box and pushes it out. And, and he, you know, he uses his card and he takes it out and he goes, word. <laughs> I have not heard anybody say that for like 20 years, okay? I still don't know what it means, all right? But we, I said it a few times. I had no idea what it meant. I hope it's good. So I, it's probably not the Bible. And, and so he walks out, okay? He walks out and he, and I, and I, he went and got in his car. Well, I, my food's like two minutes later and I go up and I pay for my food and, I, and I'm walking out and there's like four cars and we're all pulled up next to, like up next to the side. We're really not supposed to park there, but it was all takeout. So everybody's just kind of pulling up next to it. And, and, I, and I come to get in my car. Well, this guy has pulled behind and he thinks this is a line of traffic. He doesn't realize everyone's waiting for their food. And when I come out and open the door, he's upset because he's not aware enough of his presence to understand he's just in a parking zone. And he yells at me like a really bad profanity, like really bad. And I just laughed, which is kind of what I do. I, I, I don't care. I, you know, you reach a point in life where you get old enough, you don't care about this. Like, like when you're 35, you'd be like, uh, you know. And I've chased people in my car before. I have no idea what I was gonna do if I caught them. It was good I had a Taurus, you know. Um, I, that's why I didn't have a Mustang back then. But, but I had no idea what I would do if I caught him, but like, I don't care now, okay? All right, I, I got nothing to prove to you, Vanilla. And, uh, and so, so he pulls up next to me with his window down and says the same thing, okay? Again, this is about as bad as you can say to somebody. And do you know what I said? It just came out. I didn't rehearse it. I didn't plan it. I, I didn't, I, I just said, hey, nice minivan. Which, look, there's nothing wrong with minivans. We own four of them. But I don't think I'm Vanilla Ice. I wish I'd have said stop, collaborate, and listen. I wish I'd have said that. I didn't. If you don't know, I can't explain it, all right? But I didn't. And I got in the car, and I'm laughing. And Anita's like, what are you laughing about? And I said, okay, it's going to take the whole way home to explain this to you. But what comes out when you get poked? You're at home, and your wife walks in and says, do we have any ketchup? I don't know. It'd be in the refrigerator. It's 10 p.m. Honey, did you drink all the milk? Now, she knows the answer to that question, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah. You know, you can put cream and water together. It works the same. Isn't it funny that the people we love the most wind up getting the least from us. But here, these people are vile and they attack him. Look, look at what he does. And, and again, go through, there's a secret in this passage and I'm gonna point it out to you, but go through and spend some time in this passage on your own today. I'm just gonna highlight a few things. I think we're gonna put some of them on, on the screen. And the priest, verse, chapter seven, verse one says, are these things so, and Stephen said, and again, I wanna point this out. Stephen's a deacon, he's not an apostle. The role you're in doesn't indicate your value in the kingdom of God. Nor does it indicate that you aren't able to bring the word, because Stephen brings the word, I think, the best in all of the book of Acts. 
He begins talking about Abraham. Look, look at verse eight. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. That's a covenant of identity. And Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac became the father of Jacob. Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. They're probably like, oh, we know this story, but you don't. You think you know the story, but you don't. Pharisees, verse nine, the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph. Whoa, listen, guys. You're jealous of me. You wanna know why this is working? The, the, the lesson is right here. They sold him into Egypt, but look at this next line. Put, put an underline underneath it. Go back and read this in those moments you feel like you don't matter. What's the next line? But God was with him. Man, I think 10.30 would answer that late. This is nine o'clock. I'm gonna do it again. But God was with him. There you go. That's my nine o'clock service. All right. I'll say the same thing to them, just backwards. Verse 20. This, we get into this, this story of Moses. About this time, Moses was born. I love this. And he was beautiful in God's sight. That's your promise too. Bible doesn't say Moses was particularly beautiful physically. He's beautiful in God's sight. That's what God thinks of you. Get up in the morning. I don't care what the mirror says. I am beautiful in God's sight. Okay, we're gonna get a little Pentecostal. I want you to say it right now. I am beautiful in God's sight. Go ahead. If that was hard, get on your knees this afternoon and ask him to tell you how much he loves you. Because you're beautiful in his sight. He tells the story. It goes all the way down to verse 30. And when in 40 years had passed, you know he was in, he's in Egypt. He realizes he's a, he's a Hebrew. He kills somebody. He runs away. 40 years had passed. An angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Sinai in the flame of a fire in a bush. And Moses saw it. And he was amazed at the sight. And he drew near it. And he came. And there was the voice of God. I am God of your fathers the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. And God said, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. I've seen the afflictions of my people. I've heard their groaning. I've come down to deliver them. And now I will send you to Egypt. He is with him. He sees him. He's got a place. He thought he had blown it. He thought he had no shot. And here he is in the wilderness 40 years. He's basically been a shepherd. He's gone from the palace of the Pharaohs to the wilderness. And God had not forgotten him, and he's not forgotten you, church. If it feels that way, he's not forgotten you. And this Moses, whom you rejected, again, Pharisees, listen, who made you a ruler and a judge, question mark. This man God sent as ruler and redeemer. Verse 42, they had made a calf. God turns away from that and gave them over to worship the host of heavens as it is written. He quotes Amos here. Do you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years? You took up the tent of Moloch. That's the, Moloch required the death of your children, by the way. That he was the God of death. They were sacrificing their children in the wilderness. 
the images that you made to worship, and I send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses. But look at this, verse 48. But, but heaven is my throne and the earth. He's quoting Isaiah 66 here. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me? What's the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? This is what he's saying. The Spirit of God isn't in a tent anymore. It's not in a temple anymore. The Spirit of God is with you. The Spirit of God is with me, and you guys can't see it. Now, just because you're speaking the words of Jesus doesn't mean they're soft. Look at the way he says them. They're just not angry. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and eyes, you've always resist the Holy Spirit. He could preach this to the church, capital C, today. As your fathers did so. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? If they had been filled with the Holy Spirit, they would have seen that what Stephen was doing was of the Holy Spirit. They certainly wouldn't be bringing him, dragging him down here to do this. Their very actions were, were the cause of this. It says, in verse 54, and they heard these things. They were enraged. Some of your translations say cut to the heart. It's the same Hebrew word. It just means it differently. They, they, their emotions are stirred deeply. But the stirring that's going on here is not the same thing as Acts chapter two when they come back to repentance. We have a generation. Is that my mic? Do I need, do I need to go to a handheld? I can do that. You want me to do that? All right, I'll do that. He gave me a choice of microphones here. All right. How's that? All right. Okay. All right. I can't say, I can't say, would you like fries with it, though, with this microphone? Like, I can with that one. I know. It wasn't that funny. He said, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Stephen sees something different than they do. Let me ask you this question. How, how do you respond when you realize your sin? Do, do you push back? Do, do, you, do you push back against it? Do you pretend it's not sin? Stephen is saying to them what is wrong, what, what they're doing wrong, and, and they are enraged. They grind their teeth at him. I, I think some of it is a huge, huge misunderstanding. We have a generation growing up right now that I think is cut to the heart, but they've been cut to the heart by guilt and not by grace. You see, if you think it's about your efforts, you're going to at some point go, I can't. Maybe you felt this way in your marriage. Maybe you felt this way as a parent. You're like, I, I can't check all the boxes. Maybe you feel this way as an employee. I can't check all the boxes. I can't get everything done. I'm doing the best I can, and I'm failing here. And at some point, you just wave your hands and say, I give up. A call to repent is not a rejection. It's an invitation 
Repentance is not stepping back from what is wrong and being called. You're not called. It's not even being called away from something. It's being called to something. It's not even just being called away from the sin. It's being called to grace. It's being called to his love. It's being called to his spirit. It's being called to the power of him in our lives. To respond to the old covenant, this old manner that Stephen's teaching them here, it shows us how to love God. Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law. The, the law's still there. The, this is the way we love God. These are, these are the relationships. But listen, you can walk down an aisle. You can make your covenant at your wedding. You can do everything in those vows, and it doesn't mean that there's life in your marriage. The old covenant shows us how to love God. The new covenant shows us how to be made new. It brings life. It brings power. And I honestly think the more and more I thought about this all week, I think we have a generation that thought it was about their hard work. It's not. It's about the efficacy, what he does on the cross. It's about that power and, the, and, how, and how incredible the power of Jesus is on the cross. There's a story in 2 Samuel. I'll just tell it. You know it. That David was only supposed to have one wife. He got many. But he's up on the roof one day, essentially looking at his computer screen in the middle of the day. That's what he's doing. Women went up to bathe. Men knew not to go on the roof at that time. It was, it was not immodest. They went up there because it was warm. The sun was shining. He goes up there, and David goes up there, and he's looking around. That's what he's doing. There's kids in the room where I would be more explicit in what he's doing. But that's what he's doing. He's not supposed to be there. And he's got the highest house in the whole city. So he can see anything he wants to see. And he calls over for Bathsheba. And you know the rest of the story. And Uriah is killed. And, and he thinks he's got it all taken care of because he had the power. He could make it all go away. But it doesn't matter how powerful you are. You can't make it all go away with God. And Nathan comes and he goes, listen, there is this, these two guys in this town. One of them was rich and one of them was poor. And one of them had a whole herd of sheep. And the other one had this little lamb. It's a little girl lamb, a little ewe. And it would, it would eat at their table and they'd feed it little morsels. And, and, and it would sit in their lap and, and they would sing to it. And it would sleep with the kids. It was their sweet little lamb. And this traveler came and the rich man he wouldn't give him one of those lambs. The, the rich man took the poor man's lamb and he killed it. And David gets up and goes, where is that guy? He needs to die. Get, he repays it fourfold. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, you're the guy. You're that guy. And David repents. That, that call to repentance is not a call to show us our guilt. It's a, it's a call to show us his grace. And I think we've gotten this wrong. I've gotten this wrong. I've taught it wrong. I've emphasized guilt over grace in the past. The law's still there. Those rules are still there. None of that changed. His demands haven't changed. What he desires of us is not less. He, holiness unto the Lord is, is the call of Scripture. But it's a but it's not a call to do that just to avoid this. It's a call to step into this. It's a call not just to avoid this guilt and this sin. It's a call to step into the grace of God and the power of the grace of God. 
Are you still trying to pay for your sin? You can't. It's paid in full. That's what it, when Jesus yells out on the cross to tell us die, it means paid in full. Your guilt is paid in full. And Stephen, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, verse 55, he gazes into heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says that I see the son of man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and they stopped their ears. We're not going to hear any more of this. And they rushed at him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And as they're stoning him, he says, receive my spirit. They lay their garments at the feet of one named Saul. I went to court this week with somebody. I, I do that from time to time. And, you know, when you go to court and your hearing's at 930, that doesn't mean you're heard at 930. It means the judge gets the plan at 930 and he goes through the whole day. And, you know, my daughter's an attorney with Georgia Justice Project. And she's like, you know, I, I can, I'll sit in court for hours waiting for my case that's 10 minutes. That's kind of how it works. But the first case was a husband and wife in the middle of a divorce and he was supposed to pay money and he hadn't been paying money and their power was off and the house was being um, foreclosed on and the internet was off and the kids couldn't do virtual learning and all this stuff. And, and he said he had a lot of money and a good job and they had bank records and all this stuff. And, and that's what, and her attorney says all this. And then the judge turns to him and he, he stands up and, and he says, he says, the judge says, do you have an attorney? And he goes, no, I'm more than capable of taking care of this myself. First thing you don't say to a judge. The only thing, if you're representing, your, this is free legal advice here, okay? Courtesy of my daughter. If you're representing yourself, just say, I'm pleading guilty or no contest. Don't try to defend yourself. It's not gonna go well. And this man starts talking and the judge goes, okay, thank you. And, and the man goes, well, I'm not done yet. And the judge goes, okay, keep talking. And the judge starts writing. And he goes, I can keep talking. Oh, yeah, just keep going. You're great. Keep going. And the judge is writing. Now, everybody in the courtroom knows what's going on except for that guy. The decision's been made. Once he's writing, the decision's been made. No one cares anymore what he says. Judge renders his verdict. What he needed deeply was an advocate, a counsel. You have an advocate. This is what it says in Scripture. You can applaud that, Chip. This is what it says in Scripture. It says that Jesus is standing. Peter, Stephen looks, and he sees Jesus standing. The Bible in Hebrews chapter 10 says that Jesus has gone to heaven, and he is what? What's his position? He is seated at the right. He is in that place of judge, but Right here, he's standing. You know what? Stephen's on trial. You know who the judge is? The judge is Jesus. But this is what Jesus does. Jesus is standing. Two people stand in a courtroom. Think about this. Not the judge, not the defendants, not the plaintiffs. Two people stand in a courtroom, not the witnesses. Who stands when they talk? The defense attorney and the prosecuting attorney. Jesus is not your prosecutor. He's your advocate. Jesus, the judge, gets up 
if that day the judge had gotten up and said, son, you need some help, you need an advocate, he'd have walked over and said, let me speak for you. This is what he would have said. Sit down and be quiet. You're going to lose. That's what he would have said. But, but, but he needed an advocate. That's what Jesus does for us. He's an, he's an advocate. But look, worship team, you guys can make your way up here. Look at what, look at what Stephen does. When, when they accuse him, when they start to try to stare him down and take away his humanity, what does he do? His, he's looking at heaven. When, when, when he's here, he's not looking at them. He's looking at Jesus. He's looking at the promises that are made for him. How do you respond? Let me ask you this question. How do you respond when you realize you're the oppressor? You, you read something you wrote years ago to somebody, or you think about something that you said, and you can't believe I said that. I've said this to you before, but early in our marriage, I was not an evil husband or anything like that. I wasn't cheating on Anita or anything like that, but I was not kind. I, I'll tell you something that happened, though, a few years ago that really hit me and, and asked my kids. They'll tell you, I changed. And, and some of that was progressive over the years, but I had this aha moment, and it involves Tim Tebow. I was, we were, um, it was Super Bowl, and I, and I text my brothers, and I said, I had three interns that were all, that all had Division I football scholarships. And I, and I text my brothers with a picture, and I said, I'm watching the Super Bowl with my three interns that are all have Division I scholarships. And my brother Vernon texts back a picture with him at Tim Tebow's house. And he said, I'm watching the Super Bowl with Tim Tebow. And I replied back, you punk. That's what brothers do to one another. And the next time I saw him, I'm like, man, what is it like to watch the Super Bowl with Tim Tebow? And he goes, it's really cool. And I just started thinking about, like, what if Tim Tebow was at my house watching the Super Bowl? And the thought hit me. Would I be better to Tim Tebow than I am to Anita? or Daniel, or Elizabeth, or Sarah, or Taylor, or Katie, or Harper, or my staff. If Tim said, I need some ketchup, I don't think I'd go, it's in the refrigerator, where do you think it is? Next to the horseradish and the hot pepper jelly. My favorite condiments, all there together. That's where it is. If he came in at 10 o'clock and said, hey, I was going to get some Lucky Charms. Is there milk? I wouldn't say, no, I drank all the milk, put some cream and milk together, cream and water together. No, I think I'd say, Tim, I'll run down to the convenience store, 2% or whole milk. Do I answer people the way Stephen does? Do I respond to people the way Stephen does? This is what I've been teaching wrong. David, will you bring me that mirror? I've been saying this for 40 years because I was leading student camps when I was 18. And I used to say this all the time. David's going to be at worship night tonight 
We have a really, really big announcement. You have to come to worship night. All right? You need, worship night's going to be good. We're, what kind of food are we having? Hispanic food. It's yeah. going to be awesome. Oh, You're going to love it. Yeah. So come on out. It's going to be amazing. I've been saying for 40 years that our job is to be a mirror. That we're supposed to reflect Jesus. When we try to reflect Jesus, what we wind up doing is, try, is we actually, in actuality, we wind up reflecting the culture that we're around. We're not supposed to be mirrors. Now, mirrors are an amazing thing, but you know what? They do not require any power. This does, I don't plug this in. It just sits there. It pushes back the image that is put into it. If you angle it, it's better, but... It just reflects it. We're not supposed to be reflectors. This screen, this is a projector. We're not supposed to be a reflector. We're supposed to be a projector. This takes power. This takes planning. This takes something coming up and coming through it. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We're not supposed to be mirrors, church. We don't just reflect. So when we get poked, we don't push back with what we, how we got poked. We don't respond with what comes at us. No. We respond back with Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And you say, it's not working. Ask him. Ask him. Pray. Holy Spirit, work in my life. Speak through me. Draw me to your face. Show me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. And when the screen goes blank, you go back and you go, I ain't moving here till you turn it back on. I am, um, thank you, David. I look at Stephen and I go, man, that's not me. I, I'm shaking my fist. I'm giving it back to them. I'm talking about their minivan. What if, what if the Holy Spirit, what if the Holy Spirit invaded our church? I'm not saying he's not here, but I'm talking about filled. What if he invaded our marriages? What if we started treating each other with the dignity and love and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? and not the stress and the worries of the day? What if we didn't reflect? What if we projected? In our children, in our work relationships, in our people? This is, this is what I truly believe. I'm gonna talk about this next week. I, the master plan of evangelism doesn't involve a track. It involves our lives and the power of God doing things beyond anything we ever imagined. I'm not fully there yet. I'll be honest. 
but I ain't quitting till I am. Amen? With me? Jesus? The first thing we do is we reach over and we grab the hand of the people in our family that we love and we squeeze it and that says, I'm sorry, I've done this on my own power and not yours. And we squeeze it again and that means I'll probably mess up again, forgive me, but I ain't quitting. And the day when we go home and our kids are a little difficult, or maybe it's not our kids at all, maybe it's work. We're going to ask you to give us what we need to be their parents and not respond. In our anger, but in your love and your power. God, let us remember Stephen. Let us think about Stephen, not Tim Tebow living in our house. And the way that he responds when evil is done towards him, when wrong is done towards him. And we can't do that on our own. And if we try, we'll just wind up being really frustrated. But we're not mirrors, we're projectors. And we have power in our lives. Because you don't live in temples, you live in us. That's what you said. Amen. Amen. As Pastor Randy reminded us, we can't pay for our sins. Jesus, our advocate, paid it all. Thanks for listening. I'm Myrna Brown.